The Poe Politicking Show is brought to you by Audible. With over 180,000 titles to choose from, Audible is great for any continuous learner wanting to grow and expand their knowledge and insight. Go to www.audibletrial.com slash P-O-Audio and get an audiobook of your choice free with a 30-day trial. After the trial, your paid membership will begin at $14.95 per month. With your membership, you will receive one credit every month, good for an audiobook on Audible. Cancel before your trial ends and you will not be charged. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash P-O-Audio and download a free book by Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, Napoleon Hill, Les Brown, Damon John, and more. Always remember that knowledge is power. Popolitikin.com. Hi, I am Tanira Kane. I'm on the Popolitik Show, and I am excited to be on this show. And I'm all about making sure that we put out some good, positive things in the world so people can get what they need to live those positive, healthy lives. And I'm asking everyone to please, please reach out to your um, senators, your representatives, and and talk about your needs for health care, Medicare expansion, and and why you need it. Don't give up. Don't just sit back and, and just wait. Please, please use your voice, use your pencil, use your time, and let's do this together. Popolitikin.com. Welcome back to Popolitikin.com, your home for self-help meets hip-hop. Make sure you download our app on iTunes and Android. I'm now politicking with Tiona Kane. Did I say your name right? Tona Kane? Tonya. Tonya Kane. And she has a very special Calls and message you want to talk about. So I just let you go in and just start talking about your story. So can you talk about uh, the background? I was reading and said you're a recovered drug addict over 19 years and you had 86 arrests. And I saw those pictures. You was looking bad. Like you, you did a whole. <laughs> so, yeah, we got to hear this story because you a whole yeah, other person now. Yeah, I did some things. Um, yeah, 83 arrests and 66 convictions for so, sure. So what? So I guess can you just start from the beginning, like? Like your life was it normal when you started using drugs, or like did you start drugs at an early age? How 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 you know? Well, I started drinking around age nine, and it was you know easy access to alcohol because I um my mother was an alcoholic. So when you have a parent that's an alcoholic, getting alcohol access to alcohol is very easy because there was always those half filled cups left over from the last night's party. Mm-hmm. So I would always go in after that um, last night party. But the reason why I even started to experience with alcohol is because I, I was trying to deal with a secret, something that I had hidden inside of me and that was being molested very early on. And I know by, who? Um, by a community member, mm. you know, my first, um, Molestation was the guy that um, he was the rec director at our community rec center. Mm. And um, so I always thought that if you get if you if something bad happened to a person, that means that's a bad person. That was my belief system back then when I was around nine years old. 
I believe that I was nothing. I never melt anything. And bad things just happened to bad people. But was that, was that like from the parents, church? Where did you get that thinking from? Well, no, I um, I just, you know, because my whole life was was very bad. You know, I'm, I'm the oldest. Back then I was the oldest. It's about seven kids. Now I'm the oldest of 10. But back then I was the oldest of, um, yeah, but seven kids. And my mother would leave us in the household sometimes two and three days at a time. So there was no love. There was no nurturing. And she was a single parent. My, my father had been gone. And my sister and my brother's um, father had already gone. So it was like, it was a horrible life because... Right. We're very, you know, we're very dirty. We lived in the projects. People teased us. We were always hungry, always hungry. And, um, and that's how it was for us. So I just, I really somehow believe that this was the life that I was supposed to have. It wasn't because anyone told me it's because the way I felt inside and I took on that persona and I, and I accepted it. So when those things happened, when, when all of those sexual assaults started to happen, I put in a dark place because if anybody know, I might expose who I, that I am a bad child. And you know what I mean? And I'm still trying to earn my mother's love because even back then I thought you had to earn someone's love it should not be just given to you and it was all out of neglect and abandonment you know what i mean all this was developed out of neglect and abandonment so um yeah because i know i know like with me and the show like i'm real big on positive thinking but yeah. i think sometimes like you said if you were born in situations like that and you don't know any better like it's kind of hard to think positive when you right everything around you is so negative right how do you think positive when you're when you're hungry all the time when when you, you're being beat down and smacked down and called names by people that were supposed to love you, you know, and it, and I seen love. I seen other friends who had families that, you know, told them that they love them and things like that. I, I, I couldn't even remember my mother even telling me that. So I just thought that I was not worth loving and I was not worth, you know, taking care of. And when I get hurt, I got hurt because that was my work. And, um, and I went from started to drink at nine years old. Um, eventually, was put into foster care for a short period of time because, of course, finally they caught up with the fact that my mother could not take care of us. And I, I went in foster care just for several years. And I, but I actually went back to my mother because for me, I still crave my mother's love. You know, I was able to love my sisters and brothers, my my siblings. I'm the oldest. I took on that paternal that paternal role very early on. But who would love me? You know what I mean? So and your I, mom never really she never was she was she never your mom really? She, she never no. Yeah. She, you know, she was an alcoholic. She she would go sometimes two and three days at a time without coming home checking on us. We were kids. You know what I mean? And when she was home, she was crying. She was drunk. You know what I mean? Um, we got called names, beat on. You know, so no, it was nothing nurturing and loving at all. It was no no supportive environment. And so, um, so but I still, as children do, we love unconditionally, right? right? We do. So I still wanted to be with her. I still wanted to love her. And I still wanted her to love me because it need, I needed that validation. I need, if she loves me, maybe I'm not that bad of a child. You know what I mean? And I thought she didn't love me because I wasn't worth loving. So I kept craving that love so I can be validated for myself as a child, which shouldn't happen, of course, but that's how it was. So I went to foster care and I went with a, with a cousin. I went back to my mother around age 14. 
And what I realized was things hadn't changed and she had three more kids. And I realized that maybe she wanted me back, not because she loved me, but now she just needed a babysitter all the time. You know what I mean? She needed some help. And so I went back and I, um, and one day she got very mad at me and I'm, I'm 14 now. And in the middle of the street, she started to beat me in the street in front of everybody. And I ran away. I ran to a, through a wooded area to get to a cousin's house. And when I got there, the only thing I wanted to do was die. So I went to her medicine cabinet. I took a whole bottle of pills. And I woke up in the emergency room and nobody asked me why. None of the doctors, none of the nurses. I didn't see a psychiatrist. I didn't see a psychologist. No, I didn't see a crisis person. They, My mother told them that, oh, she just made a mistake and took her own took too many of her own medication, which was not true. And they released me right back into her care. Mm. And so where do you go from there? So she really didn't know what to do with me at that point. So I went to live with her sister, my aunt, who did the best she could. But by then I was an alcoholic at age 15. I was an alcoholic. I was taking half bottles of gin and grapefruit juice to school, you know, at by age 15. Every day I had to drink. Where was you getting it from then? Well, you know, still, when you have a parent that's an alcoholic, and 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 then when I live with my my aunt, you know, they worked, so they had their little bar. You know, they used to have a bar that light up. <laughs> you know, that funky seventies yeah. bar, and they had it filled up. You know what I mean? So it was easy access again, and they they were hardworking people, so they worked all day long, and um. So I just made myself very comfortable with what I seen and I, and I utilized it to help me to cope with my reality. And it did, it worked for me. I would drink and and even in school, I would go smelling like alcohol. I would fall off the gymnasium being trying to do that. And they would make me sit in a corner, but nobody came to me to ask me what happened. Why is this going on? You know? And then at age 16, there was an older man in his mid twenties. who thought I was cute. And wouldn't mind making me his wife. And he befriended my mother by giving her all the alcohol she could drink. So when it came time for her to sign the marriage license on my behalf, she did. I was a minor. I couldn't even sign my own marriage license. I married him. I moved in. She moved in with my three little sisters because she didn't have a place to live. So in my mind, I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe this older man could, you know, protect me from all the other bad men of the world. But he became even a worse nightmare because there was times when at night he would beat me down in the street, in the floor until he seen blood. And I and said, I was, sound like even before you told me, I would say, sound like you married Mr. That's what we, right. I, exactly. Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. And I and that's how it was. And and I didn't work. I stayed in the house. He wants to know what was I doing that I could not clean his house all day. I mean, it was awful so and my mother's there she was drinking it was just an awful awful situation but I got pregnant with my our son and then I was thinking you know what okay now I can have a baby and my baby will love me like I love my mother but my husband as a form of punishment at age two took my son away from me and I never seen him again until many many years later so I went to the only place I knew to go that will always welcome me, and that was the streets. The streets never turn you away. 
So I went to the streets. My husband left me without a place to live, with no money, no food. He just picked up and left one day, took my son, and now I'm homeless. I'm, I'm, I'm an alcoholic, and I now I found this new drug to help me to numb myself. See, because, Poe, what was going on? I had this movie that kept playing over and over in my head, that horror movie that I couldn't get out of my head. You know, when, that, when those older men used to cover my child's body to hurt me, or when all the times that I were here in my and my my minds in that 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 volume would play so loud you're nothing you're worth nothing and I would hear that over and over again and every time I was beat down and stomped down and raped I could not stop that movie playing in my head until I started to use crack cocaine so I used crack cocaine because the more I used, the less that movie would play in my head. And it became the way that I cope with my reality. But in order to obtain this drug, I had to do some things. And that's how I ended up with the 83 arrests, the 66 convictions, and living in the streets for 19 years. So what, 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 what year did you start? Oh, wow. I started drugs <coughs> uh, probably 1984. Yeah. So what made you, I mean, luckily, I'm glad nothing really happened. Like, you're not dead or anything like that. So luckily that didn't happen. So what made you, what was the breakthrough and what made you stop? And then well, let know, us know, like, the year you stopped, too. Uh, so 19 years later. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and, and, and during the process of the 19 years, I was, you know, I was homeless in the streets and I was a prostitute the whole 19 years. So I was having children as a result of rapes and prostitution. I never could distinguish which which way my kids were conceived because I was often beaten and beaten and raped all the time, and I prostituted all the time. So I never knew how you know they were conceived, you know, with whom they were conceived with. So, but I, as I gave birth to them, of course, they were taken away from me. So thirteen years ago, I'm in prison. I'm pregnant again. And I'm terrified I'm going to lose another baby. And I just um, I just cannot stand out of all the things that happened to me. The worst things, the worst thing was to watch somebody walk away after taking my child out of my arms. And I knew I couldn't live through that again. But now I'm in prison pregnant. How can I stop it? And, you know, and I ended up going to a program to help me with because, you know, I have been in probably 20 some other programs up until this point and nobody could really other ever helped me. So I really didn't think anybody helped me. I wanted to go to this program that they were telling me about. They say it works with your trauma. I didn't know what trauma was because they were telling me that trauma was the things that I know everybody experienced in the community. They were saying when you beat by your husband or your man or when you watch your mother being beaten, what? Then everybody got trauma. Well, Where that come from? I mean, you know, especially like a lot, you know, a lot of black people, we, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I'm like, really? And then they and then they start to talk about all the times I was sexually, mentally, and physically abused. And again, I really didn't think that was trauma because remember I took on that persona that this is who I am. This is supposed to happen to me because something in me that's evil and bad for these evil and bad things to happen to me. And so I didn't know, but I didn't care. Because all I wanted to do was try to hold on to this one baby for three hours. If I could just hold on to this one more than three hours, maybe things would be different. So I went to this program and they started to 
just really start to talk to me and work with me with my trauma. Because all the things that people are treating on the outside, they were just symptoms of my trauma, the substance abuse, the homelessness, losing my children, you know, the incarcerations, the mental health um, diagnosis they kept giving me. They were all just symptoms of my trauma. And since my trauma has been identified, dressed, and treated properly, I have not even had the desire to use drugs, alcohol, or even smoke a cigarette. It's been 13 years without one desire. Yeah. And then I was like, you just kind of like on the side note, but so how many, like, far as like, if you talking about prostitution, do you think it's a lot of uh, women that prostitute because of drug abuse, Absolutely. drug addiction? Absolutely. Like, what do you think the percentage is? It's just kind of. Uh, I'm saying, I'm probably saying it's, well, the prevalence tells us up to 92%. Damn. Hmm. Yeah. And this is numbers that come through the government. So the government always underestimates. So that's how prevalent it is. Because even cause I, like you, I, it seemed like because they're going like most like they are going to do prostitution. They always need something to cope and kind of take their mind yeah. from doing that anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of them get in it for whatever reason. They ran away. And, you know, it's funny because they say, well, a lot of people that end up in these human trafficking, they, they run away. But nobody's asking where they run away from. from. Exactly. Just like you were saying, nobody, nobody kind of they never asked the why. But right. then a lot of it always kind of stems from they were abused when they was a child. Right. Absolutely. Or they're still, like you were saying, they're living in a situation like yours. Absolutely. And people don't know how to cope because we we didn't have a lot. Our systems weren't made to deal with the core. It was it's, it's set up to deal with the after effects, the response to it. You know, like, okay, the drug addiction, all of that. You know, it's funny because instead of, because um, a friend of mine we were talking about, she was kind of comparing. She says, instead of them, we install and more seat belts, we buy more Band-Aids. You know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> so we want to deal with after that, that incident instead of before to prevent. There's not a lot of pre- preventative measures that goes on, you know, especially in our African-American um, communities because where I come from, and I know that's how it is in our community. When something happens to us, where we go? We go to the church, don't we? Yeah. We don't, there is no awareness about therapy and outreach. If you tell somebody you're going therapy, oh, you crazy. Oh, you crazy. You know what I mean? And nobody talks about that therapy really does work when it's done properly, when it's done correctly. You know what I mean? But there's no awareness around that because first thing we go is to the pastor, and he like, let's pray. Okay, I'm going to pray with you, but what's going to happen when he pulled me up in that corner tonight? Mm. You know, when my mother boyfriend pulled me in that corner tonight, what you, what's going to happen then? So I need you to pray for me, but I need you to find some other kind of methods to help, help me to work. To <laughs> yeah. with you know what I mean? You're going to pray with me. You're going home and chill and have Sunday dinner over somebody's house. And I'm still living in fear. So I need a little bit more than that. You know what I mean? So that's why... I end up writing the letter to the Senate committee. You know, they're talking about the importance of our programs and importance of making sure that Medicaid is expanded and, 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 and these cuts won't, won't happen where we're going to prevent people from getting help, from healing. There's a, a million Tonier Kings out there right now that's suffering. But and their, their I, only way is it. I guess I guess the thing I look at it like okay like especially with like crack that's mostly like black and Latinos so I don't think they really you know they want us to be in jail so <laughs> you know there is like a system I guess so 
Right. I mean, I mean, what exactly? But whatever it is, that's why we need those that are supposed to be representing us to step up to the plate and make sure we get represented. Because whatever the other side going to do and or not do to keep us oppressed or keep us down or not help us, we we need to. This is the time to rise stronger. You know what I mean? And 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 not shy away. Like that's why I encourage anybody that has a a successful recovery story, write your senators, write your, your representatives. And I'm talking about the side, the representatives that's actually going to work hard for you. You know what I mean? And because we have to try to put our voices out there strong, you know what I mean? And, and the ways they see in DC and, you know, they want numbers. They don't care. They don't see faces. They don't see blood running through anybody's brains. They don't see that busted lip, that black eye. You know what I mean? They don't see that. What they see is numbers and they're going to pretty much go by what seems to work. Now, if the crime rate is high and less people is doing better in programming, money going to corrections. It's simple as that. But if we can show, if we can show that these programs work, that we can get better help, that we can get help and be productive members. I can't even imagine what it costs to incarcerate me for 19 years, 83 arrests, 66 convictions, substance abuse programs, mental health, you know, care, the homeless situation, all that stuff, all that money. Now, Uncle Sam double dipping me. I know he double dipping me to get his money back because I know I'm paying more taxes than anybody else. I know they get me. But I am paying taxes. But I'm not just paying taxes. I'm not, and I'm not sitting on the sideline. I'm actually going into these programs because this is the this is the problem right here. It should not have taken 19 years for me to heal, for me to get better. You know what I mean? So now I go back into all of these public health systems. I've been to every state in our country, including Alaska and Hawaii, I have been invited by judges, correction, mental health, substance abuse, Department of Social Service, homeless um, organizations to help them, to train them to get better results for people so nobody have to suffer as long as I did. We can get people help sooner and get them on their feet sooner. I was going to ask you, how long you been, so how long you been like speaking on it? Probably, but six months after I got out of prison. Oh. I've been doing this a long time. So, if anybody's listening and they want to support the cause, what can they do? You said just like would they recover that, like, right? Yeah, I, I encourage and people to, you know, even if people don't feel comfortable writing their Congress or they don't even know how to do it, I encourage you to contact my, my, me at com, and we'll help. You know what I mean? Or even if you was like, look, I ain't trying to deal with that Senate thing. I ain't, I'm just trying to trying to brief day to day. Can you help me? Can you help me with some uh, resources? Contact us because I'm telling you, I'm about, I'm out there hitting a payment hard. I'm in the trenches hard to not only open up doors for people, but to create doors for people. You know what I mean? Because with 83 of us, 66 conviction, no higher education, I'm, I own two companies. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm a award-winning filmmaker and I'm an author. I, I mean, I constantly, everything I do is connected to my story. There's nothing that I do that's not connected to my story. Everything I do is about helping people every single day. So how did you, because I saw like the pictures when you like getting arrested and stuff. So how did your looks come back? Because I be thinking like <laughs> people stay like that when they be on drugs and stuff. So how did you? I, well, that's God. I give that to God. I had no I had no say so in the restoration of the way that I look. I'm glad. 
I mean, because you've seen the pictures, you know, I, at one point um, I had my teeth pushed up in my head, I had no skin on the whole right side of my body. I mean, yeah. I've been through, I've been through a lot. I mean, I had my lip turned inside out. I mean, it was, it was awful. It was awful. You know what I mean? But, but you know what I mean? When you're doing drugs, you would think you look like Holly Berry, but you would look like <laughs> Scary Berry. You would look like Scary Berry, but you would think you look like Holly Berry. So you go up on that corner with them Daisy Dukes looking crazy as hell and try. And, and, and guess what? You get picked up. You, huh. you make money. That's the hit. That's the crazy part right there. The men actually pick you up looking like that. So I was going to say, so how is your uh, back to positive thinking now? Like, how was your thinking now? Do you still, because you were saying, oh. like, back in the day, you used to think, like, you weren't worthy. Like, how are you now? Oh, my belief system changed from I am nothing to I am somebody, and I can be anything I want in this world. See, when I, what, what I knew was this. I had to change my belief system to change my thought process, just, just like you said. In order to have that positive thinking, in order to live a positive life, I had to change my belief system, and I did that. It was a journey doing that. You know what I mean? I, I was able to create that with my, my relationship with God and my, my network of people that I surround myself with. Being a mother, being a wife, all those things is just let me see who I am. And, and I have days named after me by governors and mayors in their cities and their states. None of those things changed my belief system. But what really changed my belief system? One day I went back, because I still go back to the hood, and my, you know, I take care of my mother financially and I went up in the hood one day and I drove my car, but I parked my car on the side of the hill and I walked up and it was a drug dealer that was serving a line of people. And when he seen me, he stopped serving out of respect for me. He stopped serving people out of respect. When he seen me, he even called me Miss Neen. He said, oh, Miss Neen, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I ain't see you. This was the same drug dealer that just a couple years before kicked me in my stomach for being a dollar short. Hmm. Damn. So that's when I knew that I had my life has changed for the better. And I am. I mean, to have people in the streets that come up to me and say, you changed the game for me. I'll never do this again. I've been clean ever since I read that article about you. You know what I mean? It became a game changer for people. And, and, and my life has impacted people on five continents now, all over the world. You know, yeah. they told me I was going to spend the rest of my life going in and out of prison or I was going to die in the streets. Now, say you said something that kind of struck me. So why did you decide to still help your mom? Because, again... Are you still like looking for her love? love? I'm not looking for her to love me back. Now I'm just doing my part in loving her. And is she you still know? on alcohol or is she stopped? She, she is. She's still on alcohol. Matter of fact, she called me this morning and she had that sound like she's trying to get me to come over there and get her a beer or something. <laughs> but she, um, I take care of my mother for a couple of reasons. One, because I'm a trauma expert now. And I knew, I know that's not natural for you to have 14 kids and not love them and not care about them. So There's some probably happened to her. Happened to her, exactly, because we're looking at that vicious cycle. So I have a lot more compassion and understanding. But and, I don't know, I always be looking at that. I'm like, I'll be like, because I, I always not, because I, I study psychology, so I always know that. But I was like, I don't think people can use that as an excuse. Like, like you said, somebody got to break the cycle. So it's like, you know. But it's, it's not an excuse. Mm -hmm. It's not an excuse. So and that's why I always tell people, I'm not trying to give you a bunch of excuses. I'm trying to tell you what motivated these bad decisions. You know what I mean? I can't change what I did. 
And I'm not trying for you to just feel, I'm not looking for anybody to feel sorry for me. I'm looking for people to see that in, in, in order for us to find a solution, we got to look at the problem here. You know what I mean? And when I exposed my life, I went in hard and I went in deep because I knew that's what it was going to take. My book is so real and so raw. I had pastors tell me they couldn't even get through it. But I kept it real and I kept it raw. And I put the people in there that needed to be put in there. And it has nothing to do with hurt feelings. Oh, well, your feelings hurt. Get over it. This is about changing people's lives. What do I care about hurt feelings when I can change somebody's life over here? You know what I mean? So that's then, where I'm at with it. Then two part question. So I want I want to ask you like so anybody that's listening that's kind of going through drug abuse right now or drug addiction, what would you tell them? And then what would you say to the kids? Because I actually like growing up like um I had I want to say name but somebody in my family was addicted. So I I like what you were saying. I kind of like see my mom go through. Well, yeah, see yeah. my mom go through that. So, right. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's the thing. I always tell people, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter what you feel about yourself or somebody tell you, just know as long as you're breathing, there is hope. As long as you got breath in your body, you have an opportunity to get better. You know what I mean? And I always tell people this. Once they hear my story, they don't even have an excuse anymore to try to get themselves together because they can contact me. And I I personally respond to people and try to find the resources that they need. And I'm an ear for them, you know. So I always tell people never give up on yourself because somebody, I'm, you got somebody out here that's fighting hard for you. So when you do make that decision to walk to the other side, you got opportunities. You got everything put into place for it. To, you can be successful in your transition, you know, to be a positive person and to live a healthy, positive life. And then um, I meant to ask you this earlier. So is there any like certain books you read to help you or affirmations? What do you do? I read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's my, and I read the Bible. I read, and I do read like the George Myers devotions. I, I'm, I'm very, um, I, I, I read the word because the word what gives me you know, peace and comfort. So I'm a follow. I love my Lord Jesus. I know that he done everything for me. And, and I try to live that life because I had to forgive a lot of people. And I could not do that without my faith. I couldn't do it without my faith. I needed my faith in Christ Jesus to be able to, to forgive people because I knew that it was going to hurt me not forgiving them because it holds you hostage. Do be having people that did stuff to you when you see them, they all happy, they they laughing. Uh, and you in the I ain't thinking about you. How you gonna get them back? They ain't thinking about you. No, I I I want my life free. I wanted freedom. You know what I mean? I wanted I wanted that whole bondage thing gone. And I um that's how I live my life. And I you know I saw I, I do a lot of praying. I I, I fellowship. I um I I do I do um, affirmations through um um spiritual affirmations but you know the probably the most important thing other than my faith in god my tool is to keep me together is i like to exercise you know when i found out that exercise can help me to feel good to release those happy things in my brain i went hard and so what happens is people are have to find what works for them and everybody's different you know what i mean Everybody's different, and I just encourage people to find your strength in all of this because we all have strengths. We do. We just have to tap into that to find out what we need to make this thing work for us. Yeah, and then like you were saying, I think like 
like if like you said, we might have addictive personalities, but like you said, you can use it for like good, like so like going to the right. gym or books right or, you know right like exactly and i'm a history buff you talk about reading other than the bible i'm like i i have studied every henry the eighth wife i i just love history you know and now that i do things where i'm learning more about different cultures because i speak i go on the reservations of um different native americans to help them like the Arapahoes in wyoming the luma nation in washington state uh, i spent a lot of time with the hawaiian culture the people in hawaii the real culture the generations there you know in canada the first generational people and um so I like to study more about um, their life and, and even my own history. You know what I mean? So, um, and I love that. I love, I love reading history because history really defines us all. And, and, we and it have repeats to itself. Back, it, right. And we have to look back to find out where we're going. I would say, so what would you say some of the keys? Uh, no, 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 no. Here you go. I want you to give me a, a life hack. Something that we can like some that you know about life that we can use in our life to improve our life a life hack I, again i just i just always i do that you know just no matter what when you wake up every morning you wake up and there is something in you that nobody has not even been revealed and just stay in it so it can be revealed we are all very special people and we have special lives that was preordained for us and we need to get to it. You people are worth so much more than they believe. So I always say, believe in yourself. You do. You have to, even when nobody else believes. I mean, I had people where I couldn't even go in their houses, family members. I couldn't even go in their houses. You know what I mean? And, and I look back today and, and I, uh, I'm just, I'm very grateful, you know, that I was able to, you know, God was able to bring me through, deliver me through what I've been through. So they can now know that, wait a minute, I maybe I shouldn't have treated that person like that because you never know. Because a lot of them, I had to end, end up helping them some, some way, some form or fashion. So, I mean, it's all about believing. And, and, and what I encourage people that got family members that's using, that's struggling. I always say this. I said, you know, move out the way. Get out the way so we can get some people professional help because sometimes family members all good intentions they all up in it that's my child i know what my child need well you know what your child need we may not be up in this situation and what about the um people that enable them yeah you know what i mean and i always tell people that's what i say get out the way you know what i mean love and support them but stop everything that you're doing up until this point and let the professionals do it and you just have to love them from afar sometimes because as long as you holding on tight can't nobody else bring them into to that um journey that they need to go into you know what i mean it's just we have to let go for people to get free you know people can't get free when you still holding them in bondage and that's how, that's what happened when we enable people when we hold on to them and not let them get the help that they truly need and what would you like to say to all your fans, people that have been supporting your career so far? Oh, my goodness. I am so grateful that um, I have so many people that God has put into my life that made this thing possible. And I'm very, very grateful. And I, I always say, as I want to do my therapist know, and I can't find her, but just, you know, as a result of really working with me correctly, as a result of that, through me, she has helped millions of people around the world. How long? Yeah. How long did she work with you? How long did about a year? Okay. About a year. Every day yeah. or how often? About three times a week. Mm -hmm. And then, did, so the state pay for that? 
Yeah, it was a federal a federal funded program. Yep. And so, so are you saying for. you're saying like most of the success rates for all those programs are pretty good? If people go through them, well, no, that's not what I'm saying. Uh, just, I mean, <laughs> that certain one, or is it? Yeah, right. So, it's programs like that that's designed to get to the core of people problems instead of looking at just the behaviors. We're looking at why we have the behavior, why people are coping that way. We and then you have to look at why people are um have the, the tools, the unhealthy tools that they have in helping them to create a healthier tool. I have a nonprofit that we uh, you know what I mean, our job is to is a global nonprofit and so we lay foundations in helping people to, you know, create these environments and settings for people. Because we do have some messed up system that we see people come back and forth. And that's why it's so many of us out there now that has going into these programs to get better results for people. But when people get the right help, truly the right help, they do do well. And not only they do well, but they go back to help somebody else do well. And that's it right there. But we need people, you know, we're looking at, we're looking at the fact that not only that we may the the funding being cut from these programs. When I was in that program 13 years ago, I was in a program that was funded by the federal. Then I was able to give a housing grant to go into um, housing with my daughter. And I had a case manager to help me to to maintain and be successful in housing. And I they made me work or volunteer or something 40 hours a week to get me um, so I can get familiar with the workforce, you know, so I can get out there. And then, I mean, I had everything put into a step for me to be successful. See, because the problem is in our traditional program, they help us do well while we're in their program, but they don't do a lot to help us maintain it in the community. You know, so we are looking to help people to not only help people do well in their community, in their program, but bringing it out into the community. And we, that's why I wrote the letter to the Senate committee, Senate Health Committee, because we're looking at people going to die you think people are dying now because of the, uh, the opium epidemic, you're going to see that in more. You're going to see people doing more suicide because people won't be able to cope and handle it. And it's just going to be, it's, it's, it's going to be like a plague. But what it about, I mean, even like speaking of plague, what about that, like that uh, bath salt stuff? Like flocka, you know, that stuff that, is worse. Well, this, but this is how people, let's think about this, is how people are coping. So we need to get, that's why I said we can get programs so we can do more preventative things or bring people in very early on in this to save lives and, and help people get healthy because the drugs are getting stronger. The drugs are getting worse. You know why? Because the trauma is. Mm. Because the trauma is. And the worse the trauma gets, the harder it is to numb, out, numb these things out. So we got to look for more and more things to take us somewhere else. What do you think about weed? Cause I'm a, I'm an advocate of weed. So what you think about weed? <laughs> I mean, we. I mean, <laughs> you, know, you should not be asking me that question. <laughs> I'm just saying, cause I'm in California, so you know it's legal out here. And, and I like, know. I mean, like I said, I, I always think weed weed is better than like how they they want you to take Xanax, but yeah. weed is natural. So I always think if you're gonna like weed is better than pharmaceutical medicine. Yeah. Well, weed is natural, and if it's used for, for what is supposed to help people to heal, no yeah. matter what that is, you know what I mean? It's, 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 weed is it was something that has been put on earth naturally. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not synthetic, as you know, and it has a lot of benefits, you know. Um, so it's certainly just something that they need to discuss more. I mean, 
in Denver, right, Colorado, right now, and trying to give money away because yeah. they're doing so well. They're doing so well out there by legalizing. Yeah, know? I'm saying I've been, I've been smoking. I started smoking like in 2000, and I never went to another drug. Like they always try to say, like it's a gateway. Yeah, I, I mean, ain't I don't, no gateway for me. I've been on I that since then. You know, I don't necessarily agree with gateway. You know, I think that people are going to do what they want to do, cope the way they got to cope. You know what I mean? I know a lot of people that smoke weed that didn't do anything else. You know what I mean? Um, I just think that we are, my concentrations are on more of the hardcore drugs that's um, preventing people to live healthy lives, like not being able to work, losing their children, losing their health, you know? So those, that's how, that, I concentrate on more drugs like that. You know what I mean? I don't want to get on the weed band, uh, bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> you already sound like you too late for that. <laughs> but I want I want to say uh, thank you for politics with me. I, I really appreciate hearing your story. I see a very strong, beautiful woman, and um, yeah, I appreciate it. It's really nice that you're helping so many people. Well, thank you for having me on your show, and I appreciate you getting a message out. And I just, you know, thanks to all your followers, all your fans, all your listeners, and. Remember, TonierKane.com, you can get everything, my book, my video, you can reach me. And um, I'm out there hitting the ground for you guys real hard. And um, we're going we're gonna to heal a lot of people and do some things. Popolitikin.com. Thanks for listening to Popolitikin.com, a self-help meets hip-hop brand. If you are an artist or business owner wanting to be featured on Popolitikin.com, Contact us at popolitikin at gmail.com. That's P-O-P-O-L-I-T-I-C-K-I-N at gmail.com. Or text 760-717-5803. If you're a listener that enjoys the show and wants to support, you can donate to popolitikin.com via paypal.com. Please send donations to popolitikin at gmail.com. Any amount will be helpful in continuing to create quality content and shows. As always, check out popolitikin.com for past episodes. Make sure you subscribe to Popolitikin on iTunes, YouTube, Podomatic, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play. Welcome to CoNimby Foundation, a private family foundation incorporated in 1968, and it's dedicated to our continued mission of reflecting the family philanthropic philosophy. Our programs expand educational opportunities and creative, inclusive communities because supporting the causes of education and community development is the hallmark of our work. The Foundation's programs have ambitious goals that seek to meet the needs of our communities. We acknowledge how important it is to have sound structures and strategies in place to achieve success in all of our programs. To learn more about our work, visit us at conimby.org and on Facebook at Conimby Foundation. While you're there, like our page as we will like to stay connected with each of you.